This is R.J. Rushdoony, Easy Chair Number 351. Tonight, Douglas Murray, Andrew Sandlin, Mark Rushdoony, and I will discuss, first of all, federal tyranny. Now, this is a very uh, important subject here in the West at the moment because of the Sagebrush Rebellion. It was sparked by the ranchers in Nye County, Nevada, and has spread throughout the West. Tonight's television news said that the federal government was going to move against the Nye County Board of Supervisors. The Nye County Board of Supervisors declared the county owned all the public lands within the county. Now, the background to this is that the U.S. Constitution specifically states that the federal government can own no land within any of the states except post offices and military bases. This means that whenever any territory became a state, the state took over the ownership of all the public lands. Very, very early, the Supreme Court quietly overturned that provision of the Constitution so that the drift to centralism has been one of... uh, long-standing. The whole of the Sagebrush Rebellion has been discussed in various periodicals. National Review, in its October 9, 1995 number, had an article on law and disorder. The tension in Nye County is such that Uniformed agents of the U.S. Forest Service and the Bureau of Land Management have been refused services in stores and restaurants in Nye County. It's a large county geographically, but it does not have much population. Tonopah, which is a very small city or maybe... A, what, a somewhat oversized town has uh, a good deal, maybe half or more of the population. Now, this crisis is one that has been building up for a long, long time. Back under Franklin Delano Roosevelt, the sheep men began to be crowded out of their normal ranges. Let me say that the mountain and forest areas need grazing and the cattle are the best in grazing them because otherwise the grass mats down and becomes a thick cushion of dry uh, vegetation which is highly inflammable. Now, More than a few, in fact, most of the forest fires in recent years have been very, very difficult to control because of that uh, 
highly inflammable mass of dry grass. The cattle have for generations since the West began grazed in the national forests. They have eaten up the grass. They have destroyed the uh, greasewood-type brush and made it possible for the young trees to grow better. They don't bother them because those trees taste like turpentine to them. Now, with these controls, many ranchers will be put out of business. Meat production in this country will be dramatically curtailed and prices of beef in particular will rise because historically a ranch has carried with it grazing rights to certain areas of the national forest. So we have a very, very real crisis here. The federal government is not budging an inch. It is treating the entire constitutional aspect as though it were nothing. The Forest Service and the Bureau of uh, Land Management, of course, is acting as though the ranchers are out to destroy the West. Tonight on television, some of these officials were speaking about overgrazing and how it was going to do fearful damage. Well, the rancher is in the business of producing meat. And if there's not enough uh, grazing, his cattle are not going to thrive in the national forests. So it's not a matter of overgrazing. It is simply a matter of land management, and the rancher puts his cattle on the national forest when he has used up the available grazing in, on his acreage. He cannot keep them there when there is nothing for them to feed on or when they are so overgrazing the land that it's difficult for them to forage. There are portions of the West that are desert or semi-desert areas where on an average you put one cow per hundred acres. This is not true of the contested areas. So we have a crisis. There are two aspects to it. One are the claims of the federal authorities about overgrazing true. The other, what does the Constitution say? And it's very clear that such lands do not belong to the federal government. Well, with that, Douglas, you're very, very well versed in this area. Would you take over? Well, I read an account that was published in the International Mining Journal of August 1994, which is a, an eyewitness account written by a Donald Bowman about the confrontation between the Nye County Commissioner, Richard Carver, and the, uh, uh, the U.S. Forest Service uh, district ranger for the Tonabot District, and also the uh, uh, there was another U.S. Uh, 
Forest Service individual there by the name of uh, Young. And they played out a little uh, one-act play uh, over this road that went between two mining properties that has been used and open and notorious used by the public for uh, decades, uh, fell into disuse for a while, and when a new mining company came in, uh, they wanted to open it back up again. And uh, initially, the Forest Service agreed that the road had to be realigned and uh, repaired, and uh, the district ranger agreed to this, and the county commissioners said that the county should apply for a permit. Well, the Nye County commissioners have claimed that all roads in the county are county roads, and they don't feel that they should have to get a permit from a federal entity to work on a county road. So uh, they told the Forest Service that they were going to go out and repair the road and without the permit. So this uh, <laughs> became a celebrated event. 200 people showed up from the surrounding area, in fact, from surrounding states, for this little standoff. And this one fellow uh, from the uh, Forest Service uh, stood in front of the bulldozer with a little sign that said, uh, Stop Unauthorized Disturbance. Signed, Dave Young, U.S. Forest Service. Now, it wasn't stop in the name of the law. No law was cited. Uh, no uh, section of federal statute was cited because there was apparently nothing to cover the situation. They felt that their, their mere presence uh, was enough to stop this uh, reopening of this road. And they showed up wearing guns. And they were asked by the county commissioner to remove their sidearms because nobody else there was carrying guns or anything else that would be of a threat to, uh, to anyone. They felt that the uh, government personnel wearing firearms was a, a provocative act. But I remember 20 to 25 years ago when all of this came into being. I remember the chief ranger for Yosemite National Park quit his job now, he's a man with a master's degree in, uh, in forestry and uh, had been the Yosemite's uh, chief ranger for many, many years, well-liked, and had done a very good job for the park, but he said he absolutely refused to wear a sidearm in the performance of his job of growing trees. He felt it was unnecessary. But this was something that was uh, quietly instituted in all of these public agencies, all federal agencies, all of a sudden overnight were authorized by Congress at that time to create uh, paramilitary organizations within their ranks to go out and enforce this uh, grab of public lands. The Bureau of Land Management did it in the, this area, in the foothills in, Cal uh, in California. Uh, there was one celebrated instance that was only published in a local paper where an 83-year-old woman was thrown off of a mining claim that she and her husband had worked virtually all of their lives. Uh, the, the, this uh, Bureau of Land Management goon squad, I mean, that's the only way you can describe it, uh, went in and forcibly removed her from this cabin. She had nowhere else to go. Uh, 
She had no relatives, no living relatives, and they held her, forcibly held her outside the building while they destroyed her cabin. And then they left her there. They wouldn't even give her a ride into town, and it was 23 miles to the nearest uh, uh, settlement. And they wouldn't even give her a ride. Some other people had to take her into town to try to, to get her put up for the night. Uh, and these kinds of, of uh, outrages were perpetrated numerous times but got no coverage in the national press. Uh, they were covered well in the local press, but the national press refused to cover them. Uh, they did not see that this was a widespread uh, pattern of abuse that was going on. They, they refused to uh, recognize it as such, but uh, uh, people in the mining industry and forestry uh, and uh, other natural resource areas were aware of these federal uh, paramilitary organizations going out and throwing people physically throwing people off of public land that they had been using for a considerable length of time had the uh, mining claims filed they were up to date uh, they were legally entitled to be on that property to to use it for mining uh, purposes or exploration purposes and yet they were forcibly removed the the federal government was intent on scaring people off of public land and uh, uh, there's other stories where uh, uh, mining machinery worth hundreds of thousands of dollars was intentionally destroyed by BLM personnel where they would drive a guy's bulldozer into a mine shaft and wreck it. You know, put it on, put it in gear and then jump off of it and let this $250,000 bulldozer go down a mine shaft and destroy it. Uh, I mean, these were illegal acts that were uh, conducted in the name of the people of the United States. However, the people of the United States were unaware that they were going on, didn't authorize them, and um, these uh, uh, cowboy-type uh, uh, antics uh, were apparently allowed and ignored by their superiors. In any case, the the uh, the road was opened in this Nye County area, and now it's uh, at the time they didn't know the uh, Bureau of Land Management and the U.S. Forest Service didn't know what to do about it. But now uh, they've got uh, Janet Reno on their side. Why, uh, if she can uh, destroy the lives of 93 women and children, why uh, uh, taking the Carver, uh, taking the Nye County Commissioners to task uh, shouldn't be a difficult job for her at all. Um, this is this is the downside of it. However, since then, some progress has been made. Uh, there's been a major victory for public rights away in Alaska. There was a, uh, a case involved whether or not a private landowner in near Fairbanks, Alaska, could use a right-of-way to cross a military base when the right-of-way was established prior to creation of the base. And apparently the Ninth Circuit Court uh, has ruled that, uh, uh, it, that the uh, historic access routes are guaranteed to those people that have been using them. 
in order to get to their mining claims or to their timber or whatever activity they were involved in. So simply because the government uh, says that uh, they're going to establish a military base uh, does not rule out the uh, the access uh, across that base by uh, by people who have to get access to a piece of property on the other side. And this is pretty much in common law uh, been the case. You supposedly can't sell a piece of landlocked property. It's illegal for an individual citizen to sell a piece of landlocked property. You have to acquire, uh, you have to give a right-of-way onto that property in order to, to sell it. However, the government has exempted themselves from this. If you have uh, a piece of property, a mining claim, or even a patented mining claim that you don't have, uh, that there's no road into it, the government will not uh, give you access. So they are requiring something of individuals that they uh, exempt themselves from. This kind of uh, uh, double standard has become the rule uh, in dealing uh, with uh, uh, public property and, uh, and with uh, people involved in, in resource uh, development. The other uh, thing is that Congress, the new Congress, uh, in uh, uh, about mid-1994, a uh, couple of representatives, one Democrat and one Republican, uh, started uh, support of legislation to protect the rights of private property owners, and uh, the bill was, was known as the Private Property Owners Bill of Rights, and just basically... Uh, it seeks to establish statutorily the right uh, that requires notice and written consent for entry onto private property by any government entity. Also, review and challenge of information gained from access to private property. Also, the right to know when property is affected by the acts. I mean, a lot of people go out and buy a piece of property in good faith, and they don't know whether they're going to be able to use it for what they want to use it for. You know, like the farmers who bought the property and and uh, we're trying to get rid of the, the mosquitoes and uh, wound up in jail. Uh, even after they had gotten all of the permits and so forth to, uh, to uh, put in ponds and so forth, and uh, uh, they, the father and the son both wound up in jail, in prison. Uh, speeding hearings for appeals and compensations for takings of private property. Now, this compensations for takings of private property is something that, that keeps coming back like a song. I mean, the Supreme Court ruled on this in 1968 that any governmental entity that takes property uh, for public use has to pay you for it at a fair market value. But yet the government keeps forgetting that uh, these laws are passed in its dealings through regulatory agencies. And the regulatory agencies themselves are governed by people who are uh, appointees. They're not elected officials. Bruce Babbitt is not an elected official. He's the Secretary of the Interior. He's a cabinet uh, secretary. And he's not elected by anybody. And yet he is uh, issuing rulings uh, regarding the, the use or non-use of public lands and uh, access to private property without benefit of the courts or benefit of any uh, anything other than uh, ruling by decree. So, you know, when uh, cabinet-level people are ruling by decree, things are out of control. But the 
people were stunned by this because, you know, generations of people have gotten used to being able to graze cattle on uh, national forest lands and uh, uh, mining uh, exploration companies have, uh, you know, going through the proper channels, getting the permits and so forth, have been used to for years, so these were uh, heretofore uh, formalities. Simply the government wanted to know who was doing what on public land, which is perfectly reasonable. But uh, when they use these procedures to thwart the use of public lands, then it's a different ballgame. And that's what we have these agencies doing. But the, the uh, people at the grassroots are beginning to organize. They're getting smarter. I know of one group, the Gold Country Miners, in, uh, <coughs> up on the American River. Uh, they've gone up against the uh, uh, California Fish and Game, and uh, they, they had one Fish and Game guy up there who was writing rules arbitrarily, and uh, they threatened to sue him for um, uh, selective enforcement because he'd come along with one year with one set of rules, and then the next year he'd rewrite rewrite the rules. And the next year, we're going to rewrite the rules again before the rules had a chance to work without benefit of any scientific uh, justification or any documentation. Here again, ruling by decree. Here's a guy who's making probably $35,000 a year who is taking unto himself the power of uh, a Supreme Court judge, uh, you know, a Supreme Tribunal. He's usurping the, uh, the uh, powers of the legislative branch. Uh, clearly in violation of the state constitution and um, in violation of the federal constitution. But you've got generations of people who are uneducated. They don't know what's in the constitution and they could care less. That's right. Their bosses don't care. They have a job to do. They're being told what is the political marching order of the day and they simply ignore the constitution. And it's up to the people to remind these people what's in the constitution and uh, to firmly but nonviolently, uh, either through the use of the courts, uh, through suing them personally. Now, when they engage in selective enforcement, such as this fish and game, uh, California fish and game individual did, he is no longer protected by the, the uh, cloak of uh, legal representation that's afforded by the uh, state attorney general's office. He's on his own. He's broken the law. When any government official violates their own rules, such as this individual did because he didn't go out to public hearings, uh, he simply arbitrarily overnight says as of a certain date uh, uh, the rules are going to be changed. And uh, it was found out that he was doing the bidding of a radical environmentalist group called Friends of the River. And they want exclusive use of the rivers for uh, rafters and uh, kayakers. And the justification that the state of California took over the use of all waterways in California was that they would be multi-use, and it's written into the state constitution. They have to be multi-use. That means that if you have a river running through your property, uh, the government, the, the state government, uh, controls the use of it. Uh, however, they have to guarantee that it is open to all for fishing or uh, hiking or boating or uh, recreational uh, mining, uh, 
all kinds of uses because once they attempt to exclude one activity, then they have to exclude all of them. And that's the basis that the California Fish and Game people were taken to task on. And the uh, Deputy Attorney General from the uh, uh, State Attorney General's office apologized profusely when a lawsuit was threatened against this Fish and Game uh, individual and a letter writing campaign ensued and that individual no longer has that job. He's been transferred to some uh, uh, distant duty in Barstow. He's no longer sitting in the seat of power in Sacramento. So, And this was done by 375 people who simply made a concerted effort to point out to uh, government officials above him that he was violating the law and uh, they were subject to uh, personally subject to civil suit. So uh, people are going to have to do this on a more widespread basis. There, uh, you know, people have been just reeling from the the uh, stridency of uh, uh, these regulatory agencies who have been uh, uh, boosted by the media, have been uh, actually sanctified by the media as doing the good work on behalf of the people. Well, it turns out that the, the people who produce the wealth in this country, uh, if they can't get to the resources, they can't produce the wealth. And if you can't produce the wealth, you can't pay taxes. And if you can't pay taxes, the whole system goes down the drain. So they're kind of shooting themselves in the foot, but uh, that doesn't seem to slow them up any. No, that's, they're not smart enough to see that yet. So well, you got a bunch of college. You, you got a bunch of college kids who have no historical perspective whatsoever. They don't know any history. They think that history is irrelevant. Their parents are irrelevant. Uh, history is irrelevant. That it has no, uh, it has no, uh, nothing to teach them. And they're arrogant to a fault that they are going to reinvent everything and that they're going to prevail no matter that there's been uh, several thousand years of failures <laughs> of governments trying to do this. The simple fact exists that no government has ever outlasted the people. But the people have to rise up in a concerted action, not in, not in violence, but in a concerted, uh, intelligent action. They first have to inform themselves. They have to educate themselves. They have to find out what uh, legal avenues are available to them. And then they have to exercise them vigorously. Because it, it, from what I've seen so far, and this is just within the past couple of years, uh, these grassroots organizations have risen up and they've accomplished a great deal. It's amazing how quickly the genie goes back into the bottle when uh, they're confronted by these people. In fact, some of them are stunned. They're literally stunned. I, I was uh, given a, a, an account of a first-hand account of of the um, the meeting where this fish and game individual was confronted and told that he was liable to civil suit for selective enforcement. And he was stunned. His jaw dropped open and uh, his head went down in his arms and he was he was just amazed that there was any con going to be any any uh, countervailing force. They're, they've been so used to getting what they want for so long that they think that it's going to go on forever. So people are going to have to uh, understand they're going to have to get involved in the process, even if it's simply to the extent of writing letters and thoughtfully and uh, 
and uh, uh, expressing their views. I think a good indication of uh, the attitude of the federal government recently when the government shut down for a week over the budget um, debate and the lack of a federal budget uh, here in Yosemite National Park and uh, Grand Canyon National Park, Yellowstone National Park, the federal government chose to shut down the park. They could have just as easily as left the gates open and let people drive in and look around right. and close the concession stands where the employees were, but they chose to shut it down. That was their preference. Yeah, the, the problem with that is that it would show how unnecessary their presence really is mm -hmm. and has always been. There was an interesting cartoon recently when the federal government for a few days shut down some of its operation. And a cartoonist, who is, I don't think, a conservative, had a cartoon about two men discussing the matter and said, if they're going to shut down unessential services, why don't they begin with the White House? <laughs> well... One of the problems today is that we don't shut down uh, legislative bodies enough, both on the state and the federal level. And as long as they are in session, the bureaucracy is there with its measures it wants passed, the money it wants, and the controls over us increase. And it leads to the arrogance of these bureaucrats. They act as though the country uh, is about to go to rack and ruin. Well, a hundred and twenty years or so ago, there were people talking about the destruction of American forests and uh, public lands. In fact, since that hue and cry began, the forests have increased. In the 20s when I was in grade school, the environmentalists were active then, and as I've mentioned on other occasions, they talked about the depletion of natural resources so that oil was running out and coal, and by the time we, uh, eighth and ninth graders, got out of school, we would all be uh, sitting in the dark because of the loss of energy. What these people don't realize is that the earth is a vast bundle of natural resources. When I went to school, they couldn't go very far down in the ground. In fact, the mine uh, that used to exist on our home property went down about a hundred feet only, a gold mine. Now they can go down a few miles. It's because as we increase our technology, we are able to reach more and more natural resources in the ground. By the same token, as our population has grown, we have had an appreciation of the necessity of resources so that the big lumber companies very early began to protect their future by reforestation. It's been the small 
a lumber operator who goes in and slashes and carts off everything and then goes out of business. But the big lumber companies, long before environmentalism was heard of, were active in protecting their future. Well, the same is true of ranchers who use public lands. They have been using them for generations. If they had at any time in the past destroyed those lands and the available grasses, they would have been out of business. It's ridiculous to act as though these people are destroyers, pure and simple. That is not the case. Well, I was thinking about the fact that this idea of federal tyranny is not something new. I had occasion this past week to do a little reading in uh, oh, Plato and Aristotle and Montaigne and Marx and Rousseau. They were all, of course, statists to the core. And I was thinking uh, when we were uh, formulating this topic about the first significant warning of federal tyranny being in First Samuel chapter 8 where Israel of course wanted a king like the nations about them and God led Samuel to, to warn them about the specific federal tyranny and uh, so this is not something that is new it's something that's been going on for quite a while I want to mention too something that Rush deals with in uh, I believe it's um, politics of guilt and pity and that is this: a lot of this stuff assumes the idea of imminent domain Yes. that essentially the state owns everything and at best leases certain properties to individuals who can take what they want at will. He points out there that this includes the idea, entails the idea of sovereignty, and it's a religious idea. So what we're talking about here, what Douglas has just so eloquently described in the last half hour, is really a rival religion. These people yeah. are dedicated to a different faith, and they are just as zealous in their faith as the most zealous Christian is. Well, the thing that uh, has not been covered by the press and the great body of the American people are totally unaware, particularly in the eastern part of the United States, they have no concept of the human cost that this has taken on people here in the western states. That was mentioned, we were talking in the break about this... Um, up in the Klamath area, would t- t- tell us about that situation. Well, I went up there last year, and uh, there's a little town called Happy Camp on the on the Klamath River, about 35 miles west of uh, the main artery, I, north and south artery I-5, just uh, south of the Oregon-California border, and uh, the the only industry in that town was the was the mill. Now there had been mining activity around the hills there previously, but most of that had gone. Uh, there was a small uh, amount of small-scale dredging in the river, but that's pretty much uh, dried up or become recreational in nature and not commercial. So the only employer in that that uh, town that's been there for probably a hundred years was this mill. And uh, when Bruce Babbitt, Secretary Babbitt, decided that they were going to stop logging cold turkey, uh, 800 families were forced to move from their homes in that town. And it, it decimated the population. It closed churches. It tore families apart. 
it caused uh, enormous dislocation in people's lives, enormous uh, loss to them because their homes obviously with so many people moving out, how much can you sell a house for in that kind yeah. of market? You can't get anything for it. It's like Texas when the oil patch dry, uh, you know, was shut down down there. Um, you can't get anything for the house and people just have to move away and, and lose their equity. So people that had worked and saved and and sacrificed for years to try to build a home for their families lost it all in the wink of an eye. And the press totally ignored this. The government didn't provide any compensation. And the uh, uh, the people in the environmental mo movement couldn't care less. Yeah. I mean, you talk about cold-blooded uh, attitude toward other human beings. Uh, these people are the most ruthless, cold-blooded individuals uh, that I've seen. They have no concept of the human cost, and they just yeah. don't care. In that town, I talked to... Uh, some of the people in local law enforcement down there, and that they said that they were appalled by the amount and, and intensity of the spousal abuse and the child abuse and the drunkenness and uh, all of the problems that arose out of the frustration, the sheer frustration of men who were trained to do one thing, and that's work in this mill, yeah. and suddenly their livelihood was taken from them overnight. And the mill was virtually shut down now. And uh, that town is decimated. You can roll a bowling ball down the main street and not hit anybody at, at high noon. And it's that same story is repeated town after town after town after town through the Sierras in California. And the logging industry is totally shut down in Oregon. Well, these social socialist uh, elitists are hypocrites because they claim to be concerned about people. And that's just not true. They're... They want to spin political utopias out of their own mind, and uh, they don't care who they hurt. I mean, all they care is there's this rational plan they have in their mind, and, and everybody has to fit into that rational plan, and if they don't, and it's uh, in the Soviet Union, throw them in the gulag, and if it's in America, do just what you were describing. The important thing is not people. The important thing is their rationalism. Well, we, we have a new gulag in the United States. It's called uh, the minimum wage uh, jobs. And, uh, you know, it's been variously called uh, by Ross Perot hamburger flippers and so forth. But that is the new American gulag. Dead-end jobs, they're it called. It is dead-end jobs, mm -hmm. minimum wage, uh, not enough to keep you alive, and but too much to, to go on welfare. And uh, it's... Uh, I expect to see a book with that title, The New American Gulag, because uh, uh, you've got... A rising number of people, uh, even university graduates, who are forced to take temporary work through these temporary employment. They can't get full-time employment because the companies can't afford to pay the, or won't pay the, uh, the medical uh, uh, coverage. And uh, with the uh, huge influx of illegal immigrants and immigrants into this country, many of them who have educations that they got by accident that are better than the kids in this country got on purpose uh, are able to do the jobs better. I went up to Seattle in uh, July of this year and went to, to Microsoft and Zetron and some of the electronics companies up there. And uh, I'll bet you at least 40% of their staff are, uh, are Asians because they're smart and they're aggressive. They're, they're well-based in, uh, in primary education. 
and uh, they study all the time. They don't stop just because they quit school. They're studying all the time. They take advantage of any educational opportunity that comes along, either in the company, uh, within the company, or at night school. And Americans have become too lazy to do that. And people are going to have to understand that, uh, you know, they're going to be consigned to the American gulag, which is the the, uh, the hamburger flipper jobs for the rest of their lives. If they uh, they don't, uh, you know, get out from behind the television set and retrain themselves. Well, <clears throat> Americans have never been very good about protecting their jobs in, in this century, and we're, we're losing them. Uh, the environmentalists combined with the, the environmentalist bureaucrat coalition is convenient because the environmentalists want to control the environment, and it's a convenient way for government bureaucrats to step in and say, that's a good idea because we'll be the ones doing the actual controlling. And they control the mountains, and so there's no mining, there's, there's no logging. And a lot of these industries that... that are basically shutting down are very difficult to to resurrect right now someone um, I know who's a logger says he's getting too old to climb trees to top them off and he's having a hard time finding people to do it no but no young men want to go into the logging industry it's a dangerous job and they see no future in it so what's the point of, of going into an industry that appears to be dying there used to be half a dozen mills in Calaveras County in 1978, I think there were still about two or three operating, and now there are, there are none. One was a very modern mill that closed down a couple of years ago, but it's just that the, they couldn't cut the logs, the government controls the forests, and the government decided and put all sorts of roadblocks in their way, and they'd use one excuse or another. If it was, before it was spotted owls, they'd say, well, our budget won't allow us to conduct the environmental studies to put these stands of timber up for sale. They'd use one rationale for another to basically say, reduce the amount of logging, reduce it. Loggers didn't have any jobs. The costs of opening up a mine are astronomical. The companies who then produce the mining equipment are few and far between because there's so little mining. It's difficult to create these industries and resurrect an industry once it's dead. I, I, th I think eventually, though, Americans, there's going to be a backlash, and somebody's going to see to it that it's to their political advantage uh, when when people get fed up. But well, it's not going to happen until people get upset. Only when people starve. Now, I was reading an account in a mining magazine about, uh, I don't think it was Barrick Minerals or something. They've spent 30 years trying to open a phosphate mine. 30 years! And millions and millions of dollars in regulatory... Uh, paper shuffling uh, because the government really doesn't want them to open the mine. So they've put all kinds of roadblocks, additional environmental impact studies, ad nauseum in their path. But they've hung in there. Well, phosphate is fertilizer, and that's what you grow food with. And when the environmentalists get hungry too, food isn't. Somebody has to grow it. Somebody has to produce it. When the food runs out, when the money runs out, these people are all going to starve, too. For instance, uh, it takes the average human being in this country uh, is supported at the current standard of living by 10 tons of minerals per year, you know, in metals and phosphates and fertilizers to grow the food that they eat, all of this stuff. So mining is not an inconsequential activity. 
in this in this society or any other industrialized society. So people are going to have to do without cars, do without television sets, do without uh, synthetic clothes. Uh, in fact, perhaps do without clothes altogether because you can't grow cotton without uh, mechanized uh, agriculture uh, anymore. Uh, all of these things are going to be gone. The VCRs, the televisions, the whole nine yards is going to be gone, but they don't see that this is the eventual uh, result of the, the destruction of mining and the destruction of uh, resource-based industries. I think if it doesn't come sooner, it's going to come as a backlash when the uh, our debt economy collapses. People are going to do whatever it takes, and they're not going to care if there's a regulation. The United States has already spent all the money that was accumulated during the Industrial Revolution. It's all gone. You well, know, 200, 200 years of, of, uh, of uh, the production of wealth has been dissipated. It's gone. I tell my students that we're, a capitalistic economy is supposed to be built on capital and savings. And now we're, our entire economy is geared around debt and manipula the manipulation of debt. So it's a complete economic revolution has taken place from a, a, an economy built on savings to an economy built upon debt. Well, I referred to something earlier, and what you're discussing now uh, is related to it. From one cattleman to another, the percentage of uh, cattle they run on federal land varies. But a very large number of the cattlemen of the West depend on federal lands. If you eliminate, as they are doing, step by step, the use of federal lands by cattlemen, then you are going to cut the production of beef. You are going to increase the cost of beef. This could lead to a kind of enforced vegetarianism on all who cannot afford to pay a great deal for meat. We are already seeing the effects of some of these things and the price of meat. So that uh, we are counterproductive uh, in our economic policies. I was observing to someone just yesterday that uh, back in the 20s, the luxury meat was chicken. It was uh, very expensive. If you ha had uh, the money to buy a chicken, you made it go as far as you could, and uh, one of the most popular dishes of the 20s was chicken a la king. And when Hoover ran for re-election, uh, well, when he ran first for election, he saw greater prosperity around the corner and said that it would lead to a chicken in every pot. Mm -hmm. Well, when he was saying that, he was saying, you're all going to be very well off you will be able to afford a chicken, which at that time not many did. Well, along came uh, agricultural experts and farmers, and uh, in not too many years they made chicken the cheapest meat. 
And instead of uh, chicken in every pot, uh, as a luxury item to be dreamed about, it was a commonplace thing. But meanwhile, very subtly, lamb has disappeared from the American diet. Now, there are two, three reasons for that, which I won't go into, but one of them was federal interference with grazing rights. Now we're seeing the same thing take place little by little with beef, so that beef will be a luxury item before this is over. This is the direction we are taking, and the average American does not realize the high price he has paid and will pay for regulations by the federal government. Exactly right. When people surrender their self-government, that's what it's specifically leading to. They don't want to govern themselves, and so they want to become slaves. And that's precisely what's happened. One of our problems, too, is that in my lifetime, we've gone from being a rurally-oriented to farm-oriented country to an urban country. Right. Uh, when I was a child... Most Americans, even though they had come to be in the cities, were born on a farm or in a small town and then had migrated to the cities for a job. So they still had the uh, perspective of rural life. And I remember that one of the most common uh, <coughs> poems uh, when I was in school was Thanksgiving going home to grandma and grandpa at the farm. There was a very popular uh, poem about that. It was in some of the school books. Well, that aspect of our life is gone. And because most people are in an urban context, they don't know the kind of thing you're talking about, Douglas. And because they are ignorant, it's no skin off their nose as far as they're concerned, and they are seeing themselves being stripped of their future, of their ability to govern their lives. Step by step it's being done, and it's going to mean fearful consequences for everyone unless they wake up and turn this around. The separate mentality. There's the urban mentality, which is yes. totally different from a rural mentality. Uh, concerned with separate rights. They're concerned with uh, self-expression and uh, rights of free speech. They're not concerned with property rights because, as you said, there's no skin off them. I wanted to mention very quickly that one of the chief assaults as far as the federal tyranny is concerned is in the area of education. I wanted to throw that in yes. uh, because the federal government and the alliance with state governments uh, have assaulted us and uh, it must be opposed. And, of course, we at Calcedon have been opposing it for 30 years. But um, we need to recall that and not, not forget that point also. Yeah, people who go to state schools all their life have uh, an assumption that the state, the government has to run this, the ha government has to run that, or it won't be well run. They can't conceive that it could be another way. That's right. And the government, there's nothing that the government has ever done efficiently. Yeah, they're not offered alternatives. No. They're not told well, that there they are any alternatives. And didn't de Tocqueville say that was the greatest tyranny of all, the tyranny that uh, leading people to believe that there can't be any other way? And that's precisely what Mark was uh, 
describing. I mean, uh, one of the things that has happened wherever the federal government has had a forest area for a long time is that uh, it becomes a sterile environment. The trees uh, grow big, tall, and shade the ground so that grass doesn't grow. Deer leave the national forest to go to adjacent private properties in private forests where there will be grazing. And the federal objective seems to be to create more and more sterile areas. Well, the deer around here aren't stupid. I mean, they travel all the way up from the high, down from the high country at uh, five, six, seven thousand feet. They walk all the way down to Linden, down to the orchards down there where they can get free apples. Yes. Well, our time is very nearly over. Do you have a final observation, uh, Douglas? Well, cutting to the chase, I truly believe that all of these, uh, subterfuges that the environmentalist movement has used, such as the Spotted Owl and the Environmental Species Act and all of these other things, uh, of finding a, uh, a sort of a, uh, a symbol or a poster child, if you will, uh, to benefit their cause that uh, the general public can't possibly oppose. Uh, it's, uh, you know, Smokey the Bear, it's uh, the Fuzzy Little Owl, it's this, that, and the other. And these, this is a Trojan horse for gaining total control over the population. And the population's got to wake up and wake up quickly and get involved in the process of opposing this because it's the only way it's going to turn around. Otherwise, uh, you wake up with a total tyranny, which we're very close to it, uh, right now. So find a resource-based industry. Uh, uh, they all have... Uh, public uh, relations uh, groups that uh, have uh, information affecting their industry uh, get free pamphlets. Uh, find out what you can do in your community to uh, uh, assist these uh, industries because those industries provide your jobs and they provide the resources that gives you the lifestyle that you have uh, come to be accustomed to. And if you want to live in a cave uh, and cook over an open fire, just continue to ignore what's going on. I think it's important to point out that God commanded us to have dominion over the earth, yes. not to lock it up in a, one giant nature preserve. That's right. And he didn't tell us to have dominion over it for the fun of having dominion so we can enjoy having power. We need to have dominion over it because it's what produces our food and everything else uh, for our needs. It's a necessity for our existence and for our well-being. But man doesn't exercise dominion on the earth, the earth will exercise dominion over man, and that's precisely what's happening in the case of environmentalism. Well, our time is up. Thank you all for listening, and God bless you.